Hi, you're listening to Bonus Points, the official podcast of Mr. Astle's Theology Class. Join us as we put out into the deep and explore the world of theology and beyond. Today, we're taking another journey into a galaxy far, far away. This time, we're going to see what Anakin's Fall can tell us about sin. Let's begin. Before we jump in, I have two exciting announcements that you may have noticed. First, the show has a brand new website. You can now get there by going to bonuspointspodcast.com. That's right, simple as that, bonuspointspodcast.com. There you can see the show notes, submit questions for Question and Astle, and this part is new, you can listen to the show directly through the site. Check it out. I'm also excited to start incorporating more guest introducers at the top of each episode, so if you notice some different voices starting the show, that's why. Anyway, welcome to part two of our series on Star Wars and spirituality. Last time, we contrasted the Force from the Holy Spirit, then we compared the Jedi Order with the monastic warriors of the Crusades. This time around, we're looking at the fall of Anakin his descent to the dark side, the birth of Darth Vader. While I don't think there's a direct parallel between the fall of Anakin and the fall of Adam, intentionally or otherwise, I think that it's still valuable to hold them up next to each other. There are some similarities between Revenge of the Sith and Genesis 3, and we'll also see how Anakin's sin can tell us something about our sin, and all sin. Before we begin, I'd like to include the same disclaimer that I gave in the last edition of Star Wars and Spirituality. I have seen all of the theatrical releases, meaning episodes 1 to 9, Rogue One, and Solo. Beyond that, my exposure to the canon has been limited. I've watched The Mandalorian, and I'm planning to watch The Book of Boba Fett after Easter. But aside from that, I've seen a few episodes of The Clone Wars, and that's about it. The most intense period of my Star Wars phase was before the canon was reset, so most of my knowledge is now considered legends and doesn't really apply. When it comes to today's topic especially, I know that a lot of Anakin's character development happens in between episodes 2 and 3, and is depicted in the Clone Wars. I'll only be alluding to that, not not referencing it directly, But even if we just look at what happens in Revenge of the Sith, we can make some pretty good comparisons. As I like to do with movie-related episodes, I'll give a brief synopsis for listeners that may not be as familiar with what we're talking about. As always, consider this your spoiler warning. Anyway, even if you've never seen Star Wars, you've probably heard the name Darth Vader. Well, before he fell to the dark side of the Force, Darth Vader was Anakin Skywalker, Jedi Knight. As we see in The Phantom Menace, Anakin was born as a slave on the desert planet of Tatooine. At nine years old, he meets Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn, who notices that Anakin is absurdly strong in the Force. Anakin's mother, Shmi, tells Qui-Gon that Anakin has no father. It's almost as though the Force itself was his father. Qui-Gon decides to take Anakin back to the capital planet of Coruscant so that he can train as a Jedi. While it's difficult for Anakin to leave the only planet he's ever known, and even more difficult for him to leave his mother, Anakin goes with Qui-Gon and enters the Jedi Order. The next time Anakin visits Tatooine is ten years later, as we see in the next movie, Attack of the Clones. 
When he tries to see his mother again, he learns that she's been kidnapped by Tuscan Raiders, a violent tribalistic local species. He finds her just in time for a final conversation before she dies. In a rage, he slaughters the entire Tuscan village. Not just the men, but the women and children too. Around this time, Anakin secretly marries Senator Padme Amidala. Attack of the Clones ends with the beginning of the Clone Wars, fought between the Galactic Republic and a separatist, separatist faction, the Confederacy of Independent Systems. Revenge of the Sith picks up several years later with the war in full force. Both Anakin and his secret wife Padme have had their share of adventures, but Anakin is becoming more and more afraid of losing her. He has frequent nightmares where he sees Padme dying. After she reveals that she's pregnant, these nightmares become even more frequent and vivid, and it seems like Anakin dreams about Padme dying in childbirth almost every night. Anakin, convinced that these are premonitions from the Force, starts desperately searching for some way to save her. He knows that he's strong in the Force, and so he figures there must be some way that he can use his powers to save her from dying. Anakin isn't satisfied by the answers he receives from the Jedi, but he does find what he thinks he's looking for from Chancellor Palpatine, the head of state for the Republic. Palpatine tells Anakin the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise, a Sith Lord who is able to use the dark side to create life. He could even keep the ones he cared about from dying. This seems to be exactly what Anakin is looking for, a way to use the Force to keep Padme from dying, or dying the death that he thinks the Force has predicted. Not much later, Palpatine convinces Anakin that the Jedi have turned against the Republic and tried to kill him. Anakin pledges himself to Palpatine's teachings, and so Palpatine, also known as the Sith Lord Darth Sidious, gives Anakin a Sith name, Darth Vader. As a newly appointed card-carrying Sith Lord, Darth Vader leads the purge of the, Je of the Jedi Temple and the massacre of the Separatist leaders on Mustafar. It's here that his old master Obi-Wan finds him, and the two fight. It's over for Anakin once Obi-Wan has the high ground. Vader is left dismembered and on fire, where he's eventually recovered by Darth Sidious and given his iconic asthmatic cyborg suit. What does all of this have to do with Genesis 3? Well, Adam and Eve's fall happens in a garden, and the city planet of Coruscant is about as far from that as you can get. Still, there are some similarities between Anakin and Eve, especially in the path they follow from virtue to vice. Let's look at the dialogue between Eve and the serpent right before she eats the fruit, because in those few lines, we see a progression that we also see in Anakin's fall, and very often in our own sin as well. This is from Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, 
she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, and he ate. If we break down this dialogue, we see that the first thing that the serpent does is ask a question. Did God really say? He knows the answer, of course. Like a prosecutor on cross-examination, he's not using questions as a way of discovering information, but as a way of getting his witness where he wants them. Of course, Scripture itself calls the devil the great accuser. This is a legal term, what we would call a prosecutor. This is opposed to the title that John gives for the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, or the advocate, defense attorney. Anyway, the serpent asks Eve, did God really say? And Eve tells him that God said that if they eat the fruit, they will die. Now the serpent steps up his attack and directly contradicts God, saying, you will not die. In fact, the serpent leads Eve to doubt God's motivation. He reframes the commandment not to eat the fruit as a way or as an act of God's selfishness, not as an act of his love. He tells Eve that God is just jealous and power hungry. Not only will she not die if she eats the fruit, the serpent says, it will make her like God. After this, it starts to seem like a good idea to Eve. She starts to rationalize it and justify it. She sees that the tree is good for food, a delight to the eyes, makes you wise. And of course, she eats. The serpent leads Eve down this path uh, where he questions, he contradicts, he shows a quote-unquote better way of getting what she wants, and then finally she rationalizes the decision that she made long before she took the bite. Turning to Revenge of the Sith, we see a remarkably similar pattern in a conversation between Chancellor Palpatine and Anakin at the opera. This is the dialogue that I mentioned earlier, where Palpatine tells Anakin the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise. Before they get to that, they talk about the progress of the war and the growing tension between Palpatine and the Jedi Council. Just like the serpent, Palpatine asks, question, asks Anakin a question that he already knows the answer to. They, meaning the Jedi Council, ask you to do something that made you feel dishonest, didn't they? They ask you to spy on me. Then he turns everything around. He says the Jedi are acting selfishly, even at the cost of betraying the Republic and democracy itself. Just like the serpent, Palpatine convinces Anakin that the true motivation behind the Jedi Council's actions is selfishness and a jealous desire for power. It's at this point that Palpatine tells Anakin the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise. Why? Well, he's already got Anakin questioning the motivations of the Jedi Council, now he wants to show him how the dark side could fulfill his desires. Just as Eve saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and good for gaining wisdom, Palpatine tells Anakin how the dark side can save the ones he loves from dying. The same pattern leads Eve into sin and Anakin to the dark side. Even just by holding up these two dialogues next to each other, we see all these similarities come out. There's actually more that comes to the surface if we spend some more time thinking about it. For example, think of the role that deception played in both stories. Both begin with a contradiction of truth, a fabrication. Now, all sin move, involves moving away from the God who is truth. There's a reason we call Satan the father of lies. Notice how Palpatine even slips a little bit of moral relativism in there when he tells Anakin that good is just a point of view. 
Both Anakin and Eve were deceived. They were also motivated by fear. For Anakin, his sole purpose is to find a way to save Padme from the fate that he thinks is imminent. And this is why Palpatine tells him about Darth Plagueis. He wants Anakin to see the dark side as his only hope. The fear isn't quite as obvious in Genesis, but I would argue that it's still there. So when the serpent tells Eve, you will not die if you eat the fruit, we sense a bit of a veiled threat. We can almost imagine him continuing, you will die if you don't. It's worth remembering that the Hebrew word that we translate here as serpent, nahash, is the same word used later in the Old Testament to describe the great monster Leviathan. So this isn't just like a garter snake threatening Eve. Perhaps the deepest connection between Anakin and Eve is also uh, going to be a good segue to talking about Alsin. And that's because in both cases, you have this attempt to seize control and become the master of life. Eve eats the fruit to become like God. She reaches out to grasp. Anakin pursues the dark side to learn how to use the force to create life. Now, here's the thing. Both of these attempts to control life leave the person disfigured. Anakin, of course, finds himself dismembered and scorched on Mustafar not long after this. But even if he hadn't been physically disfigured, over and over again we see that the dark side mutilates its adherents. Now, Adam and Eve were not physically killed that day in Eden, but they did lose sanctifying grace, this intimacy with God. Nature itself, creation itself, is distorted by original sin. And the saddest part is, both Anakin and Eve rejected the good in this pursuit of eternal life, and in both cases, the way that they rejected actually could have provided what they were seeking. In Star Wars, there's this concept of living in the Force after death. Qui-Gon discovered this way to essentially become immortal. This only happens with the light side of the Force. Even Palpatine's attempts to live forever are just these cheap counterfeits. The light side actually could have provided Anakin with what he was searching for, and that's not even considering the kind of Force healing that we see in some of the sequels which may have even more directly been able to save Padme. And, of course, the cruel irony is that Anakin's dreams become a self-fulfilling prophecy, and his descent to the dark side was ultimately responsible for Padme dying in childbirth. That may be a little outside the scope of this episode, though. In Eve's case, she eats the fruit to become like God. But the whole point of sanctifying grace is to make us like God. We were made to be happy with God in heaven, to be united with him, to be transformed into his likeness. We call this theosis, where we become partakers of the divine nature. In their disordered pursuit of eternal life, both Anakin and Eve threw away eternal life. After the break, we'll see what Anakin's fall tells us about our own sins and about every sin. I'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to two of my good friends, Mark and Kendra, who recently launched their podcast, Christ-Centered Life. I'll include a link to their show in the description, as well as in the show notes. Definitely check them out. Welcome back. 
Before the break, we looked for connections between Anakin's fall and original sin in Genesis 3. Of course, original sin is the only original sin. All sin is just a repeating of that first one. Sin is kind of boring in that way. So it shouldn't surprise us that there are similarities between Anakin and Eve. Um, if there are similarities between Anakin and Eve, that some of those similarities will tell us about our own sins as well. In fact, many of the things we've already said come up in our lives. How often is it that our own sin is an attempt to reach out and take for ourselves the gifts that God wants to give us? How often is our sin an attempt to be in control? How often do we find ourselves walking that same path of doubt, contradiction, justification? So what else can be said? What we see in Anakin and in ourselves is that sin is the corruption of a good thing. We start with something good, like, or we start with something good and then twist it or distort it. Love gets corrupted into lust. Healthy desire for food turns to gluttony. Sin is what happens when we see the goods of creation and we treat them like they're the creator. God gave us so many good things, but there are supposed to be signs that point back to him. The creature points to the creator. These good things lead us to the ultimate good. Sin turns created things into idols. We can't read the sign, and we get stuck. Anakin loves Padme, but his love for her becomes a form of disordered attachment. What does this mean? Well, let's start with what it doesn't mean. Jedi philosophy, which was mostly based on Buddhist philosophy, says that you have to be entirely detached from everything around you, no connections, because everything is temporary. This is pretty much the answer Anakin gets when he talks to Yoda right after his nightmares start. Don't love people too much because everything is temporary. Anakin is unsatisfied with this answer, as he should be. When I say that Anakin needed more detachment, this is not what I'm talking about. No, when Christians talk about detachment, it's a bit more nuanced. Detachment for a Christian means recognizing that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Whatever we have, we love, and love deeply, because the Lord has given it to us. But we can't love it in a possessive or controlling way, because at the end of the day, we neither possess nor control it. All of the creatures around me could go away, so I shouldn't place my trust in them. Detachment means that we can't look to anything in this world to be our fulfillment and our happiness. Even the greatest goods in my life, my wife, my family, aren't God. Trying to get from them what I can only get from God is going to leave me unfulfilled, and it's not fair to them. It's hanging my coat on a hook that was never meant to hold it, to borrow Christopher West's expression. It's, it's just too much. Attachments are good if we're talking about the attachment that selfless love creates. But when that attachment is out of order or disordered, I'm not going to find what I'm looking for. If, on the other hand, I'm detached, if I recognize that God is in control and everything in my life is from his hand, then I can love with more freedom. I can love the people around me as they are, not as I want them to be. I don't have to demand that my wife is a source of perfect happiness for me, because, of course, she can't be. No human being can. But if I know that God will give me everything I need, then I'm free to love as he loves. This is precisely what we don't see with Anakin. 
in a sense, Padme becomes his idol. Even Anakin's abilities become an idol for him. He's unable to accept that some things are beyond his control, and he pursues power at any cost, even when that cost becomes his soul. Okay, what else? Well, we can also see in Anakin some of the seeds of sin, or precursors to sin. Before he pledged himself to the dark side, we could see these trends and dispositions where you look at him and you say that he's going down a bad path. Even before Revenge of the Sith, Anakin has this reputation for being cocky, confident in his abilities, in a word, prideful. Now, I'm not saying that we have to pretend that we don't have any talents um, when we do, right? We just need to recognize that any talents we have are not ours. Any ability I have is built on the teachers and the coaches who helped me to develop it. Even my quote-unquote natural abilities are just that. They're the result of my nature, which I didn't create. I can't really take credit for any of it, but I can show gratitude to the God who gave it to me. The kind of prideful, I'm awesome thinking that we see in Anakin is really a form of ingratitude. On the other hand, some people have this false humility where um, they think that we have to deny that we even have any abilities. That's also a form of ingratitude. Both of them are refusals to recognize what God has done for us. Because of Anakin's pride, he seems to be unwilling to accept correction. This is a problem. If we're going to grow in virtue, we need to have the humility to acknowledge that we're not perfect. There's a reason that St. Augustine said that the four most important virtues are humility, 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 and humility. If I am humble, then I recognize that there are many areas where I need to be corrected. I'll be willing to hear correction even from people who also aren't perfect. This is not what we see from Anakin. When somebody offers him correction, he thinks that they just don't understand, they underestimate him, they're wrong, it's outrageous, it's unfair. So, Anakin becomes susceptible to Palpatine's influence, which happens a little bit at a time. Notice, Palpatine doesn't just dive in and say, hey, you know what's the worst? Younglings. He spends years gaining Anakin's trust, planting ideas, sowing doubt. This is kind of like how venial sin works. What is that? Well, think about sin. All sin goes against God's will, by definition. And so, all sin is going to harm our relationship with God. But not every sin has the same effect. Some sins, which we call mortal sin, kill our relationship with God. Other sins are called venial because they harm our relationship with God, but they don't quite kill it. They diminish grace, but they don't take us out of the state of grace. Here's the thing, though. Venial sins may not be as bad as mortal sins, but they're still not good. Over time, intentional venial sin causes us to lose what's called the sense of sin. In other words, it dulls our conscience. It makes us more likely to commit mortal sins. Anakin makes a fascinating case study of sin because, as terrible as his descent to the dark side becomes, we can also see a little bit of ourselves in him. Anakin's fall reveals something about the nature of sin. This is what I love about Star Wars. Even though the setting is a galaxy far, far away, the story is something deep and primordial. It shouldn't be surprising that there are so many connections with Genesis 3. So, 
What's our takeaway here? I think there are two. The first is that Anakin is not exceptional. He falls far, but he's not unique because he falls. At the end of the day, particular sin is just a rehashing of the original. What happened in Genesis 3 happens in Revenge of the Sith happens in your life and in mine. So, takeaway number one, Anakin should help us think about our own sin. But here's takeaway number two, and it's the more important one. Just like we sometimes mirror Anakin in our falls, we can mirror his redemption. Because that's the end of his story. A dramatic, last-minute conversion back to the light, the sacrifice of his own life to save another. This tells us that it's never too late. No matter how far we've fallen or how long we've been there, there's always a way back. And I know most of us know that up here in our heads. But I think many of us have that one area where we think there's no going back. This is where we're too far gone. Let the Lord into that area today. Until next time, I'm Mr. Astle, and you're listening to Bonus Points.